Well, good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you guys today. How many of you feel refreshed after that time of worship in God's presence? So glad you're here with us today. If you're new with us, whether you're in the room or you're watching from the comfort of your home, uh, welcome. My name is Pete. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here and just excited to have you joining us today as we kick off this brand new series called Relatable, which is all about relationships as God intended them to be. I think, you know, from the moment we are born, relationships kind of influence who we are and who we're becoming and how we engage with the world around us and the people in our lives. And, and I want to begin by giving credit where credit is due and let you know that when the team and I got together uh, last October, I think it was, and, and started to kind of map out some of the topics that we wanted to cover over the course of this year uh, from a sermon standpoint, we landed on relationships being the topic that we wanted to talk about in the month of February, and my mind immediately went to a study that my life group did, the first life group that my wife and I uh, put together right after we moved back from Columbus to Buffalo in 2016, because we knew that we needed community, we wanted people in our lives, and we wanted to help model and, and cultivate this culture in this church that we're, we're a church of groups, we're not a church with groups, this is what we do, this is how we belong and become the people that God has called us to become. Life is better connected, and so it's all about you know community here, and when we put that group together, it was you know a random mix of people that didn't all know each other, and uh, we, in our second study, we decided to do this study by Louis Giglio, who pastors Passion City Church down in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's called Relatable, and oh my goodness, goodness we didn't expect to, to go as deep as we did, as quickly as we did, and really quickly, we all got to know each other really, really well, and so I'm hoping and praying that God will speak to us through the content that we learned about several years ago that I'm just kind of, you know, unpacking here for us over these next several weeks is we're going to talk about several different types of relationships in our lives. Next week, I'll have the privilege of having my wife join me on stage as we'll do a team teaching on marriage next Sunday, which is always fun and interesting. You never know what's going to come out when Kelly and I share the stage together. We're going to talk about friendships, and we're going to talk about the most important relationship we have in our lives, which is our relationship with God and how our relationship with our earthly parents a lot of times influences and affects how we are able to relate with God. And so to begin today, I want to ask a question that kind of ties into the title of the series, Relatable, and ask you, are you able to relate? Are you the kind of person that can move through life and relate with the people in your life? Are you the kind of husband that can relate with your wife? Are you the kind of person that can relate with your friend or your coworker? Because a lot of people, you know, have this misunderstanding that, you know, to relate with others, you have to have a certain kind of personality. Like, oh, that person's really outgoing and, and effervescent, and they're just really attractional, and, and it seems like relationships just come easy to that person. But me, on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more introverted, and I'm not really a people person. People aren't my thing, and so, you know, I'm not as relatable as, as that guy over there. But I think, if we're honest, we could all use a little bit of help doing relationships in a way that's more fulfilling and, and meaningful in our lives because God has put people in our lives that we are meant to do life with, that we're meant to be in relationship with. And some of the relationships we don't get a choice on. Like your mom and dad or your mom and dad, whether you like it or not. You, you can't like opt out and pick another mom and dad, right? Your family is your family. And some of those relationships are tools that God wants to kind of mold us and shape us and help us you know, experience his love in more deep and meaningful ways. So I want to start with this big idea today. I want you to think about this, and I would encourage you guys, you're really going to want to take notes throughout the course of this message today. I believe God's going to set some people free from some things. This idea, though, you can agree or you can disagree, um, but I think it's fundamental that we wrap our minds around this central thought before we talk about any of the relationships in our lives. And that idea is this. The degree to which I receive what God has given me and wants to give me is the degree to which I will be able to have more meaningful and fulfilling relationships in my life, both with myself and with other people. 
the degree to which you are able to receive all that God has given you and wants to give you is the degree to which you're going to be able to have more meaningful and fulfilling relationships, both with yourself and with other people. We've got to lay the groundwork, and this is the fundamental, most basic thought that I think is important for us as we dive into the topic of relationships. We've got to receive the things that God wants to give us. Do you know that God wants to give you amazing things? The problem, though, for so many of us is that we don't, we don't receive those things, and I think that boils down to a couple of primary reasons, and the first is that we just don't feel like we're worthy to receive them. We're like, God, I know you're good, but I just, I've done these bad things, and so I'm not, I'm not worthy to receive all that you have for me. Sometimes this is on a conscious level. Sometimes it's on a subconscious level. But I saw this even play out in my own son's life just as recently as last night. You know, for a couple of weeks, our older son, Samuel, who's 10 years old, has been asking Kelly and I to buy him a pair of ice skates. Uh, his friends have this, you know, homemade ice rink in, the, in their backyard, and he really wants his own skate so that they can, he can learn how to ice skate. And Kelly and I started talking about buying him a, a used pair of ice skates but she was sharing with me how even used ones can be really expensive. And as soon as Sammy heard us talking about the cost of the skates, he immediately said, oh, mom and dad, don't worry about it. You don't have to get it for me. It's not worth it. You know, I'm like, hold on a second, buddy. Your mom and dad would love to bless you with a pair of skates. And he's like, it's, don't worry about it. I'm like, son. And I asked him point blank last, this was just 12, 15 hours ago. I said, son, are you worthy? Are you worthy to receive ice skates? And you know what his first answer was? No. He didn't see himself as being worthy of a $50 or $100 pair of ice skates. And I asked him the same question over and over again. I said, son, I want you to think about this. Think about your answer. Are you worthy to receive a good gift from mom and dad? Because I think similarly, we in our relationship with God... We, we, we see how good and holy and perfect he is, and we feel so inferior and unworthy of receiving the good gifts that he wants to give us. Or the other reason that we don't receive what God wants to give us is because somewhere along the lines in our, you know, in our history, we have believed the lie that whatever it is God wants to give us is not as good as what we currently have in our hands. Right? I would have to open up my hands and let go of what I have in order to receive what God wants to give me. But I'm not convinced that what God wants to give me is better than what I have in my hands right now. And so we hold on to it. And in either case, either we feel we're unworthy or we feel like, you know what, I'm, what I've got now I think is better than what God wants to give me. And so we don't receive all that God wants to give us. And as a result... We, we, don't, we, we don't receive that, and therefore I can't, like the, the relationships in my life aren't as meaningful or as fulfilling. Because again, the degree to which I can receive what God has given me and wants to give me is the degree to which I can have more meaningful and fulfilling relationships with myself and with others. That is the number one shaper of your ability to relate with others. Not your relationship with your mom or dad, which is what a lot of people think. Because eventually, even if you had a totally messed up, dysfunctional childhood or the best childhood in the world, eventually, like, the love of God has to trump all that. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is. Like, God and what he wants to do in your life, what he wants to give you is the most important factor. You receiving that is the most important shaper and influencer in your ability to have meaningful and fulfilling relationships. That is the key to a better marriage. It's the key to having better friendships. It's the key to how you'll approach, you know, a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It all begins with our ability to receive all that God has given us and wants to give us. And so with this series, Relatable, asking the question, are you able to relate? I want to ask a follow-up question. Are you able to relate to you? Can you relate with yourself. I know that might sound a little bit weird, but I believe that apart from my relationship with God, my relationship with myself is the most important relationship I have. We've got to understand this today, that apart from your relationship with God, 
The relationship you have with yourself is the most important relationship you have. Because how we see ourselves impacts and influences the way we relate to our parents, the way we navigate friendships, the way we approach marriage and dating. So what is your relationship with yourself like? Because you're 50% of the equation in every relationship you have. So how's your relationship with you going? A lot of people say, man, my relationships in my life are all messed up. My marriage is crumbling. I wish my marriage was better. I wish my friendships were better. But I think a lot of times the relationships in our lives are the way they are in large part because of the relationship we have with ourself. The relationship with myself, apart from my relationship with God, is the most important relationship in my life. Because think about it. You spend more time with you than anybody else spends time with you. You influence you more than anybody else influences you, right? What you think about you, you hear your voice more than you hear any other voice in your life. And what you think about you influences you more than what anybody else thinks about you. Now, what other people think about you and have said about you may have influenced what you think about you, but you believed what they thought about you, and what you think about you influences you more than anything else in your life. Do we see that? Okay? That's why we've got to get this right. Before we talk about any other relationship today or in the coming weeks, I think we've got to start with the man or woman in the mirror because that relationship, not the one with your mom or dad, not the one with your wife or your husband, not the one with your children or your parents or your best friend, this relationship, the one we have with ourselves, needs to get sorted out. It's imperative that we understand that we've got to do business with the man or woman in the mirror today. And so what I want to do to begin is take a look at a couple verses in Matthew's gospel that addresses this very issue. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees was one sect or, or part of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. The Pharisees came together, and the Pharisees were another group of religious leaders. And I would think that the Pharisees, having watched Jesus make a fool of the Sadducees, would have known better than to keep pressing Jesus. But they think maybe, you know what, we can one-up the Sadducees, and we can really corner this guy and trick him. And so one of them, it says in verse 35, an expert in the law tested him with this question. Now, they were testing him because they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to discredit him. They wanted to write him off as, as being a crazy lunatic and not somebody who had really come from God. And I think some of us maybe do that sometimes, or we know some people in our lives that are constantly just trying to write off Christianity, write off Jesus, that he isn't really who he claimed to be. There is no God. And so this Pharisee thinks, you know what? We can really zero in on this guy's motives. If we can try to trick him with this, this theological question, about the Old Testament law. And this is what he said in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, for us, when we see that, we think immediately maybe what? Ten commandments, right? Those are the famous ten. But in actuality, there were 613 commandments in the Torah, in the Old Testament law. And they're thinking, you know what? We can, we can really trick Jesus if we can just figure out, like, 613. What's the greatest commandment? of all of them. And I love Jesus because it's not like he's like, hmm, I got to think about that one. Let me phone a friend. Let me pray about that and get back to you. No, he immediately answers the question in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus is like, okay, you want to try to pin me against the wall? You're trying to determine whether or not I'm from God. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? Here it is. It's love God with everything you've got. And you know why that statement is so direct and so cutting? It's because it resonates with something that I think was woven into us at the moment of creation. When God knit us together in our mother's wombs, he knit us together in such a way that we would be in relationship with him. We were created, Louis, Louis Giglio says it this way, with 
a set of violin strings in our heart that were made to go together with the bow of Almighty God. And the harmony that comes together, that, that happens when his bow hits our heartstrings, it, it, it's the only time that that happens. There's meaning, there's purpose, there's beauty, there's life that comes. We were created to know and worship God. It is at the basic core of the human condition, the human experience, that we would love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. One gospel writer adds all of our strength. But I love that he said, your mind too, because a lot of people accuse Christians of just believing based on blind faith. But Jesus said, no, like God gave you a brain and he wants you to use it. We don't have to be afraid of science or anything else. Like, love him with everything that we have. This is the greatest commandment. But then without even taking a breath, Jesus continues and he says, and the second is like it. There are two things to your one thing question. Two parts to this answer. And the first part is love God with everything you've got. But then he said, oh, by the way, there's another thing. And the second thing is just like it. In other words, these two things are equal. They're both a part of the answer to what the greatest commandment is. And the second part is love your neighbor as yourself. These two things coupled together were Jesus' answer to what is the greatest commandment. And the first one felt great. We expect that, right? Love God. But the second one is where we start to cringe a little bit. Like, love my neighbor? Like, do you know the Biedermans? <laughs> Nobody loves the Biedermans. I've never even really met my neighbor. Don't know that I ever want to meet my neighbor. Do I really have to love my neighbor? And did you catch the last two words in that statement? As yourself. And then Jesus drops this bomb on them in verse 40. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, the law and the prophets, what Jesus was saying there, see, that's how people in Jesus' day and time referred to the Old Testament. They didn't have an Old Testament. They had a testament. Like, that was their Bible, if you will. The law and the prophets. The law referring to the first five books of the Bible where God established the conditions of their covenant relationship which would set his people apart from all of the other peoples in the world. The conditions upon which we would need to abide by those things to stay right with God. And the prophets. All of the books that follow the first five books of the Bible are are, are things that God would speak to his people through prophets that would talk about his will and his plan for our lives and would hint and foreshadow at a coming Messiah who would be able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. All the law and the prophets, everything in the Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. In other words, everything that God has ever done, thought about doing, is doing, or will do hangs on these two things, that you and I understand the two great commandments in life. That we are to love God with everything we have, and we're to love our neighbor, which is everybody, by the way. But we don't really put a whole lot of emphasis on that qualifier, that last part. We're like, we're good with loving God, and some of us are okay with loving our neighbor, but as ourselves? To love your neighbor like or as yourself means to love your neighbor like you love yourself. God is assuming that if we're going to love our neighbors, that we actually love ourselves. In the same way you love yourself, you're to love your neighbor. And I believe that you're going to love yourself to the degree that you have received God's love for you. It, it takes God to love God. We love him because he first, what? Loved us. And then out of that love... We're to be able to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so our neighbors really need us to get this right today. Now, I understand that this whole idea of talking about loving yourself well sounds a little bit like a self-help talk, doesn't it? Like today, we're going to learn about loving ourselves better because you deserve it, right? I'm good enough, and I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. For those of you that watched Saturday Night Live back in the day. That's not the angle I'm coming at this from. What I'm talking about is 
coming to an understanding of what God thinks about me and how much he loves me and me being able to receive that love so I can go to my neighbor and say, you know what? You may not deserve God's love, but I didn't either. And he heaped bunches into my life. And so I'm gonna give you a bunch of love too. And that will change the world. Now I know that some of you too here may also feel like, you know what, this idea of loving ourselves is, is getting dangerously close to some things that might even sound like contradictory to some of the core elements of, of Christianity. Like we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, right? That's in scripture, Romans 12, 3. But even that verse specifically is in the context of the body of Christ. What Paul was saying is like, hey, I'm not more important than, than he is, and he's not more important than she is, and she's not more important than you are. It's saying nothing about this mindset that we've somehow come to believe as, as true and holy and humble, that we are, just, we are just dirt and we're scum and we're not worthy. Like the self-loathing mindset is a lie from the pit of hell. It's not what God wants for his children. I mean, those of you who are parents would never want your children to grow up hating themselves. And yet so many of us consciously or unconsciously believe that God wants us to hate ourselves. And that lie's gotta be broken in Jesus' name. What Jesus is saying in these two great commandments that are the double barrel answer to what is at the heart of it all is that we are to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbors better. And that is all the byproduct of this relationship we have with God where we're receiving his love and then learning how to love him back with everything in our beings. It's all tied together. So we need to understand today that God wants you to love yourself well. He wants you to love yourself well so that you can love your neighbor better. He wants you to get to the place where you can hear what God says and you can see what God sees so that when you look in the mirror, you can speak the things that God has already spoken about you and over you. Because I don't think it's enough for us to just know at a cognitive level, yeah, I know God loves me. I don't think that's enough. I think we have to get to the place where we can actually learn how to love ourselves well. And I think, I think this is where the enemy has done some of his best work. He has convinced us that we are unworthy of God's love, that we are worthless pieces of garbage. And because we have believed that, we have kept ourselves at a place where we've not been able to receive what he wants to give us. And therefore, because we don't receive it, we don't fully love ourselves. And therefore, we can't really love our neighbors the, God the way God wants us to. And because we haven't received his love, that's why I think a lot of us wind up living beneath our stations in life where he really wants us to live, which is as prized and cherished, loved sons and daughters of God who know who we are and whose we are and whose authority we walk in. So many people aren't living there, though. Listen, I'm not talking about vanity here. I'm not talking about being, you know, conceited and, and haughty and having this inflated view of yourself. I'm talking about seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And when we love ourselves the way God loves us, we're that much more able to love our neighbors better. It all starts with being able to receive his love. And so if you were to sit down today with God and have a conversation with him over a cup of coffee at a table, if that were possible, what would be some of the things that God would say to you? I think the first thing he would say to you is, I love you. I love you. For God so loved, he didn't just love, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The cross of Jesus Christ forever settles the argument of whether or not God actually loves people. God demonstrated his love for us, it says in Romans, in that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, before we even had acknowledged our need for a savior, God sent his son to die for us. He would say, I love you. The second thing he would say is that I'm grateful for you. I think it's important for us to understand that God doesn't just generically love the whole world. He's also grateful that he made you. He's not sad he made you. Did you know that? He's like, I'm grateful for you. I made you special. 
Like, I, I appreciate who you are and who you're trying to become. I delight over you with singing, Scripture says. I'm grateful for you. Number three, he would say, you are a rare and beautiful treasure. And it doesn't have anything to do with what you look like, how much you weigh, if you're tucking it in, sucking it in, if you have a good hair day or a bad hair day. You are a rare and beautiful treasure. There is no one else like you. If we were to put you into a museum, you would be a one-of-a-kind work of art. In fact, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Ephesians 2.10, where Paul says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that word workmanship is the Greek word poema, which means an original, one-of-a-kind masterpiece created by the Creator. Like, there is no one else like you. There's no one else like you. You are rare. And you're beautiful, and you're beautiful because you're made in his image, and God is amazing. So I don't care what you look like, what your past is, what other people have said about you. You are a rare and beautiful treasure, he would say. Number four, he would say, I forgive you. If you've placed your faith and your trust in me, you're forgiven. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And you're like, yeah, but you, you don't understand what I've done. You don't, even, you don't understand what I've done even since I placed my faith in Christ. Yeah, but, yeah, but the cross. Innocent for the guilty, righteous for the unrighteous. Past, present, future. It's not like God is going to come back and die again for the sins that you commit in the future. It was done once and for all. And God says, I forgive you. Your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. They are atoned for. You are cleansed. You are redeemed. You are made new. I forgive you. It's done. They're gone. I forgive you. But, but, but you don't, but Jesus, 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 period, end of story, I forgive you. Number five, he would say, I'll hold you to high standards with appropriate amounts of grace and mercy. Just because he forgives you doesn't mean he wants you to continue to walk in your old ways. I'm gonna hold you to a high standard. So many people think, well, I'm under grace. I'm not under law. Like I can, you know, God, God there's grace. God forgives me. Listen, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, and he quotes the Old Testament law, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, grace, new covenant, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So grace holds us to a higher standard. Appropriate amounts of grace and mercy, not like inappropriate. It's not like some people think, well, oh God, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. I, I got you covered. You can, if that makes you happy, you keep doing that. It's okay, there's grace. No, 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 that, that's cheap grace and that is not biblical. Okay, Christ died to set us free from sin, so why should we live in it any longer? Grace is not just undeserved favor, it's also divine empowerment. He puts his spirit inside of us and gives us the power and the strength to live up to that standard. I give you grace and he knows though that we're, we're made of dust and we're gonna stumble and we're gonna fall and so he says there's mercy when you stumble and fall, but I'm gonna pick you back up and say, come on, let's keep going. I press on towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna hold you to a high standard with appropriate amounts of grace and mercy. Number six, he would say, you are here for a special purpose. You're here for a special purpose. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has planned in advance for you to do. So don't get shrunk down into a mediocre, mundane existence. You're not just going to a cubicle tomorrow. You're going to a divine appointment as, a, as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, a representative of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has placed you where he's placed you to tear down the gates of hell that cannot prevail against the advancement of God's army. You are here for a special purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. And number seven, he would say, I am cheering for you and I believe in you. What would it look like if we lived our lives believing that God Almighty was cheering for us? 
what would our perspective look like? How would it change if God tomorrow morning opened your eyes spiritually and allowed you to see when you walked out the door of your house or the door of your apartment, 400 angels lining your driveway or the parking lot saying, oh, oh, here she comes. Here she comes. Yeah! Woo! I don't know if that's what angels would do. Maybe they just, I don't flap their wings really loudly and flutter or something. But how would it change if we could see heaven cheering for us and them saying, you know what, well, we're just here on behalf of Almighty God to let you know that you are somebody being cheered for today, that God's got a plan and a purpose for you. What would that look like in our lives? Go ahead, come on, back that car, get in that car, girl. Start the car. Yeah, you got it. Come on, back it up. Come on, back it up. There you go. Now, come on, perk up that attitude because you're here for a purpose today. God's got appointments for you. You walk in victory. He has the banner of victory over you. What would it look like if we believed that heaven was cheering for us? Man, it would look a lot different than our lives do right now. If we could hear angels saying, man, you are a loved son or daughter of God. You go, girl. I don't know if angels would say that. Can't stop, won't stop. You can't be stopped because he always leads you in triumph. I think those are some of the things that God would say to you if he could look at you right now face to face. He would say you're loved. He would say, I'm grateful for you. He would say, you are a rare and beautiful treasure. I forgive you. I'm gonna hold you to a high standard, but give you grace and mercy. He would say, you're here for a special purpose and I am cheering for you to accomplish that purpose. I believe in you. So since Jesus said we're to love others as he has loved us and that we should love others the way we love ourselves, this is how that might look. What I wanna do today with this mirror is show you an illustration of an exercise that you can do at home with yourself. And you would start by just you know, waking up first thing in the morning, most people go right to the bathroom and you know, start checking themselves out in the mirror and you could write your name, say, Peter. Well, you wouldn't say Peter unless your name was Peter, okay? <laughs> that would be weird, but you fill your name in. And I think it's important that you put your name here and you say to yourself, you know what, Peter? I love you. I love you. Now, that's not like, that's not like this. It's like, woo! Yeah. Mm. Like, some of you guys, two turns is plenty, okay? You don't need to spend an hour primping and all that stuff. Like, some of you have an elevated view of yourself. Tone it down. It's okay. Some of your friends have been wanting to say that to you, but I can stand up here safely on this podium and say to you what your friends won't say. But no, this is like, I love you, Peter. Why do I love you? Because God loves you. You are loved by majesty. And if majesty loves you, then I'm certainly not going to trump majesty. If, if heaven deemed me worthy of sending the Son of God to die for me so that I could know I'm loved, then you know what, Peter? I, I love you. I'm not going to put my opinion of myself over God's opinion of me. I love me. I may not get that anywhere else today, but I'm going to get it from me because I'm spending more time with me than I'm spending with anybody else. I love me. And that thought, for some of you, is a radical thought. Because some of you, not only do you not love yourself, you actually hate yourself. You despise you. You're frustrated with you. You're short-tempered with you. But to be able to look in the mirror and see yourself through the lens of God's love and the lengths that he was willing to go to demonstrate his love for you and to agree with God, which is always a good thing, by the way, say, so you know what? I love me. And then not 
not in a, in, a, in a vain, conceited way, but in a heaven-appropriate way. And then, you know, I'd write, Peter, I'm thankful for you. I'm grateful for the way you provide for your family, for the way that you're loving your wife and your children. I'm grateful God made you. I'm thankful for you. And then I'd say, Peter, you are a rare and beautiful treasure. And I know some of you are like, yeah, Pete, you are rare. <laughs> there ain't anybody like you before. You're a little bit weird, but that's okay. I am rare. I am one of a kind. I'm a unique masterpiece that God saw fit to put me on this planet. He thought the world needed a Peter Jankowski. I am rare, and I'm beautiful because I'm made in the image of God. Now, this doesn't mean you walk into work tomorrow and you'll be like, hey, everybody, you happy to see me? You should be. No, thank you. Again, it's looking at yourself through the lens of the cross and realizing, man, God has said that I am rare and beautiful, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, Peter, you're a rare and beautiful treasure. And then you would look at this man or woman in the mirror and say the word that has the power to change the trajectory of every relationship in your life. Say, I forgive you. I forgive you. That's hard for some of you to do, who pride yourself on being hard on yourself. By doing this, we are putting to bed forever this notion, this idea that, you know what? I know that God forgives me, but I, I just can't forgive myself. I can forgive other people, but I can't forgive myself. No, 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 I'm not gonna put myself in a position where I put my opinion of myself over God's. And if God on the cross through Jesus said, it is finished, and he forgives me, then I, the power of the gospel, enables me to look in the mirror and say, Peter, I forgive you. I know you've messed up from time to time, and I don't like that, but why would I beat myself up when Jesus was beaten up for me? The beating, friends, is finished. And it does not honor God for you to keep beating yourself up and being hard on yourself as if that's some kind of display of humility. No, Jesus said it's finished. I forgive you. And so I'm gonna look at myself and say, you know what, Peter, I forgive you. Because Jesus has already forgiven you. So you are free today from what he has already set you free from. But I've been, I've been keeping you prisoner to, to, to shame and guilt and condemnation. So Peter, you're free. Because I forgive you just as Jesus forgave you. And then we look in the mirror and say, you know what? Guess what, Peter? And I want all the high school students and, and young people in the room to lean in and really listen to this one. I say, Peter, I'm going to hold you to a high standard. God holds you to a high standard. Therefore, I'm going to hold you to a high standard, which means I'm not going to go where everyone else is going this weekend. I'm not going to do what everyone else is doing. Because I've been called to be set apart, separate, different from the world around me. I'm going to hold myself to a high standard today because God holds me to a high standard. But thankfully, the good news is that he puts his spirit inside of me, gives me the grace and the strength and the power to live up to that standard and gives me mercy when I fall short of it. So he gives me appropriate amounts of grace and mercy 
to do that. Then I would say, hey, Peter, you are here for a special purpose today. This day is not an accident. I'm gonna approach this day as it's a day of divine destiny that I was created. Peter, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has planned in advance for you to do. So today you're gonna fulfill the good works, the special purpose that God placed you on this planet today. Today is a day of divine destiny. What divine appointments does God have in store for me today? You're here for a special purpose. And some of you are thinking, you know what? You have no idea what I do for a living. There is no special purpose in it. And I would say, oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is. And then lastly, I'd look in the mirror and say, I'm cheering for you. And I believe in you. Again, not in a self-help kind of way, but in a way that understands, man, when I woke up today, all of heaven was cheering for me, rooting me on to run my race with perseverance. Peter, I don't believe you're going to fail today. I believe you're going to succeed. You're not going to fall short. I believe God's spirit is going to come through, and I am cheering for you. What would it look like if we spent even a tenth of the time cheering ourselves on as we do tearing ourselves down? Man, I'm telling you, we would be champions for Jesus. If instead of constantly beating ourselves up and tearing ourselves down, if we would remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are and cheer ourselves on in the power of the Spirit to live the victorious lives He's called us to live, Man, our lives would look totally different if we would cheer ourselves on. And I don't need to wait for other people to cheer me on. You might not have anybody else in your life encouraging you or cheering you on. But you know what? When you woke up today, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was cheering for you. And if you would agree with them, that's four people cheering you on. So I don't need anybody to cheer me out of bed or into the office because I'm going to spend time looking in the mirror, spending time in God's presence, looking at his weird word, cheering myself on in the Spirit. And I'm going to cheer myself out of bed into the office so I can cheer other people on in their race with God. Peter, I'm cheering for you. I believe in you. You've got what it takes to do everything that God has created you to do. I believe in you. And it all began with, I started with the man in the mirror. And I'm asking him to change his ways. And that message couldn't get any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the change. <laughs> Woo! It's okay to have fun in church. So how does this happen? It happens when we immerse ourselves and believe that the living word of God, the power attached to these words, and we begin to listen to what he has said and choose to believe that what he has said is true about us and everything else that we've believed in our lives that doesn't line up with what God has said about us is a lie. And we are going to dismiss that. We're going to begin to tear down the strongholds that have been erected in our minds through faulty thinking because we believe the lie of the enemy. And we're going to see ourselves the way God sees us instead. Now, you may not be able to get to all seven of these tomorrow, but what if you just got to one? Can you start with one? What if you woke up tomorrow and said, you know what, Peter, Alice, Rich, Mike, Sarah, I believe God put you here for a special purpose today. I'm still working on this forgiveness thing. 
That one's hard for me, but I'm going to choose to believe today that, that today is a divine appointment, that God's got a plan for me. Or maybe you start with just number one, and you say to yourself, Sarah, Kelly, Peter, I've never told you this, but I just want you to know that I love you. I love you. Thank you, God, for helping me to love me. Because as I learn to love myself better, I'm going to be able to love my neighbor with a purer, more Christ-like, gospel-centered love. And why is this so important again? Because in that passage is this explosive truth that Jesus said that all the law and all the prophets, Isaiah, everything Jeremiah spoke and Ezekiel and Amos and Obadiah and Joel, Haggai, everything that they spoke all hang on these two things, that I love God to the degree that I receive his love for me. We love him because he first loved us. And that I can then only love my neighbor to the degree that I love myself. So more is at stake in you learning how to love you than just you learning how to love you. What's at stake is all the law and the prophets hanging on us learning how to love God with everything we've got. And from that love relationship with him, where we are receiving his love, we then love our neighbors like we love ourselves. You guys, the law and the prophets was all just a setup for Jesus. It was a pointing to and a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us that we could not do for ourselves. Thousands of years of history proved that the law was inadequate. We were incapable of being able to live up to the high standard. And so Jesus fulfilled all of the law by living a perfect and sinless life and dying for us. And through a simple act of faith and trust in him, he deposits his Holy Spirit in us. The law and the prophets was pointing to the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to bring. So you guys, Jesus is saying that the gospel literally hangs in the balance of you and I learning how to love ourselves the way he has loved us so that we can love our neighbors better. Because when it all boils down to it, you guys, when it's more than just like cliches that we're giving our friends and neighbors and information we're trying to give them, when they really spend time with you and, and live life with you, what they are going to get about Jesus is whatever you have appropriated for yourself from him. That's why this is so important. And so God, I just pray right now for your people. Lord, would you take these words and pierce the hearts of your people, Lord. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, God, that where we have adopted a wrong mindset about how we should see and view ourselves, that has not honored the sacrifice that you made to free us from bondage and slavery, from guilt and condemnation and shame. Lord, would you forgive us and set us free from that lie, from that stronghold. And God, would you this morning help us to receive all that you have given us and want to give us. And Lord, would you help us to begin working on the relationship with the person that we see in the mirror, knowing that it, aside from our relationship with you, is the most important relationship in our lives. Lord, would you teach us and help us to love ourselves, to see ourselves as a rare and beautiful treasure. Some of you here today are letting other people treat you like trash. Some of you women are letting men take advantage of you and use you and mistreat you because you do not see yourself as a rare and beautiful treasure. That's gotta stop. If you are being used and taken advantage of, it's time that you open your eyes to see yourself the way God sees you, as a cherished princess of the King of Kings. 
And if a man is not going to treat you as such, then he is not worthy of your time and attention. That's a word for somebody here today. As we continue praying, I know I've gone a little bit late, but I can't pass up this opportunity to just ask the question. If you're somebody who has never had a relationship with God, you're somebody who when you look in the mirror, you despise what you see. You hate you. You're frustrated with you. And the thought that you could receive a love today from your creator that would give you the ability to see yourself through a different light, through the lens of the cross. All it takes is an admission that you're a sinner in need of a savior. But that, that's why Jesus came, to make it possible for us to have relationship with our heavenly father. And so if that's you here today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would be so bold as to just lift your hand, say, you know what, that's me. I want a relationship with God. I want to know that my heavenly father loves me and forgives me so that I can begin to learn to love and forgive myself. If that's you here today, just raise your hands all across this place. If you're watching online, click the link that should appear in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. And just repeat these words after me. Say, heavenly father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, I ask you, to forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me, wash me, make me brand new. Jesus, I give you my life. Be my savior and my Lord. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the grace to follow you for the rest of my life. Give me ears to hear when your spirit says that I'm a cherished child of God. Lord, I pray that you'd seal this right now by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just let this word go deep into the hearts of your people and help us to begin to live it and walk in it, believe it, so that we can love our neighbors better, so that one by one we can see our community transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Church, are you encouraged this morning? I hope so. You're going to need to practice this. It's going to take some time for you to begin to believe the things that you would say and speak over yourself. So don't let this begin and end with what you hear today. You got to practice this, all right? And I promise you that as you hear your own voice confessing the truths of God over your life, eventually those strongholds are going to come down and you're going to start to see yourself in a new light. I'm excited about the message for next week as my wife will be joining me for a team teaching on marriage, on a mission. I hope you'll bring somebody with you to hear that. Church, I want you to know I love you so much. I hope you have a fantastic Jesus-filled week, and I look forward to seeing you back here next Sunday. God bless. We'll see you soon.